Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a scream and shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. You, you see what's going on here? Your fancy mic? That's right. How's it sound? I mean, not that fancy. Tell people what you said to me before we started. When I said to you, hey, I got this great new mic, professional mic. How does it sound? What did you say? Did I say it sounded kind of gravelly or scratchy? I just spent like a month's salary on this microphone. (laughs) And you just tell me, yeah, it kind of sucks. You should just use the computer mic. I got to keep it 100. Honestly, I, I once once our guest departed, uh, I, I had to turn down my computer output because you were so loud. You're just like yelling at me. Well, because the microphone's so good. Right, right. That's definitely it. Regardless, Zoom is going to give me your file separately so I can turn it down. And, and hopefully our listeners won't have to go through the same thing I did for the last 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into what's happening in Indiana basketball. Good Look, stuff. A good week. Yeah. A good week. Huge yeah. win against Ohio State. Huge mm, win against mm, huge mm, win against mm. Ohio State. Good win against Minnesota. I'm not going to say it's a huge win because we should be beating Minnesota. Well, yes, but that's a different thing. Every win in the especially with the preseason we had, the pre-conference we had, every win's huge. Every single Big 10 win is ginormous. True. You're right. But I put like Michigan State, Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State, and Wisconsin as like that's the top six teams in the league for for the most part for the last several years. And when we can beat one of those, that's a really good thing. And we should have beaten Wisconsin on the road, yep. but we did just obliterate Ohio State at the end of that game. I mean, we blew them out in a game where we didn't even play that well from an offensive standpoint. Well, and that was the crazy thing, right? Because we've seen the Jekyll and Hyde thing with this team throughout the season, even against terrible teams early on, awesome one half, terrible the other half. Clearly that happened both with Syracuse and Wisconsin. Yeah, just flip-flopped. Just flip-flopped. So it, it was just pinch me, I'm dreaming, up until there's like two minutes left in the Ohio State game where I can start finally accepting that we handled them this entire game. Like, and we are going to finish it, too. Wow, we just kind of kicked their ass. We did. I mean, our defense was really good. Trey Galloway needs a nickname. Trey Galloway needs a nickname, Ward. And and not a nickname. Don't go to your wife for it. Because Annie, she's... She does does come up with great names, but they don't mean anything. Like, the best one was in the early cream days when we had Nick Williams and we were trying to come up with nicknames for every player. And we went to Annie 
and Annie, I believe, said he will be oatmeal. Oatmeal. Yeah, I mean, so it doesn't mean anything, but we need a nickname for Galloway. He's a little bit of like a whirling dervish out there, the energy, the activity. I mean, it is the perfect example, though, of a guy who is who has a role on this team, obviously, but didn't play 35 minutes, but impacted the game, not just by shooting threes, right? Like, I mean, I know he scored eight points in that game, but he impacted the game by passing the ball. He's a catalyst. He moves. Yes. He, he, because he puts himself, like, you don't like, to your point of a whirling dervish, nobody knows exactly where he's going. Right. How he's going right. to get out there, where it's going to end up. And the same thing with the pass. Anywhere along the way, he could be firing that ball off to one of his teammates. And it causes everybody to kind of, like, move out of his way. Yeah. And there's there's this, been this stagnant part of our offense for years that seemed like it was better, like, in the Bahamas. And then maybe lately it seemed like it had been getting stagnant again. And then Trey Galloway, you know, the catalyst. I don't know, the catalytic converter, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to spitball the, the wait say that again say that again the catalyst the catalytic converter okay, the converter wait. catalytic converter the galalytic converter oh it's gonna catch on that is <laughs> that rolls, rolls right off, off the, the tongue, tongue. <laughs> the galalytic converter done trademark it put it on a shirt nil the galalytic converter trey galloway i like it i'm sticking with it for a while but that's yeah, what he fun. does he gets he gets us moving it gets and and on the defensive end too you know he's getting into lanes I, I, it was probably rabby maybe it was trevor somebody wrote about how he would do you know sort of he he was really good coming back at just doing a slight step if 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 somebody was trying to to drive by him, getting by their man, he got out just enough to interfere with whoever was driving, but still be able to cover his guy, so he wasn't abandoning something to to somebody to an open three. Um, it was it was sensational, and you know, like then you take it into the Minnesota game. This idea of like, are we going to be uh, a team that plays to the level of the competition? And, you know, no, like that, that was not one where it was really a nail biter. Once again, Vegas is eerily uh, knowledgeable. It, it was a nail biter longer. Are oh, you talking about Minnesota, right? Yeah. It was a nail biter longer than it should have been. I mean, let's be honest. It was a one point game with like eight minutes left in the game. I mean, sure. But, but, but where but it ended up was, was, you know, no, it was great. I, I'm really excited. And these, these games coming up tomorrow and, and, and Monday against, you know, um, Iowa, Nebraska, two winnable games on the road. These are huge games. I am trying to reserve my crazy optimism because I just, I go back and I look at our big 10 record over the last several years. And we were three and three and four and three and five and three at some point. It's like, I want to see us win on the road. Like I really do. If we can win these two games, it's going to take it's going to take a lot to keep me down. <laughs> if, if, if we win these two games on the road, even though they're not like the best teams, that will mean a tremendous amount. You know, so, I'm not going to try to keep you down. No, no, you'll be right on for it. You'll, you'll be, you'll be there pulling me up. Um, I want to say one thing about football. You know, the news this week was that the defensive coordinator who was there for all of one season, which really means that he wasn't even there for a year. Right. left to go be the co-defensive coordinator at North Carolina. Look, I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know if Allen wanted it to happen. If he did, I don't know why he wouldn't have fired him earlier and then 
high, had more of a choice on who you got. Right. I don't, I don't love it. I think it's a bad look for, for Tom and for the, the program. And then the other thing I really don't like is that Ohio state who, you know, what, one of the top four programs in the country. Yeah. Uh, hired a former Hoosier to be their, um, He's the associate head coach. He got an associate head coach title, and I think he's the offensive line coach. Right. He was the offensive coordinator at UCLA, and Indiana didn't even call him when they had an offensive coordinator spot. We went out and hired this guy who was a failure at UMass so and has no connection to Indiana. So I don't like that. I, 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 I know that they've done really well in some transfers, I think. Who knows? I mean, I always worry about a transfer after all the, the hubbub about transfers. And the recruiting class, was really strong best ever but the coaching stuff has not been great and and coaching matters in college football and basketball more than any other sports and and any other levels so it just kind of it just kind of doesn't make me feel great that like there's this Hoosier out there in LA who's the offensive coordinator for Chip Kelly and Ryan Day thinks so much of him he fires a guy to get him and give him an associate head coach title and we didn't even reach out to him well what are we doing then what are we doing? That that bothered me. That that yeah. sticks in my craw a little bit. Yeah, it bothered me when you told me about it, and it still bothers me now. Uh, that said, I you know I'm still optimistic. One with all the turnover because we just had a terrible, terrible season. So oh, okay, g- goodbye to these coordinators that basically did a terrible job this season. Hello to 30 new scholarship players. Yeah. Because none of you were involved with the shit show we all just witnessed. T- to your point on the last show, uh in the 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 words of Vince McMahon, uh new shit is better than old shit. Um, and I don't think it can get worse than last season. So I'm still optimistic next season will be better in whatever form it takes. I also know that if it isn't, then I'm completely out of football teams because fuck the Colts. God, that was awful. I've talked about them enough on here. I feel like I just have to say publicly, I hate them. Um, I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. They broke my heart so hard. It was awful. It was terrible. And we don't have to talk about them anymore, Eric. Well, no, I, I look, I've become somewhat of a fan because of you. I'm and, sorry. And, I'm sorry for that. And my experience at um, Shapiro's Delhi, where I got to hang out with a bunch of them before the best game of the year for them against the Patriots. Wait, a, a, a bunch of Colts fans, not a bunch of the Colts. Correct. A bunch of Colts <laughs> okay, fans. Um, let me ask you this, though. Uh, is, is the way this season ended – would you support like clean house fire Reich? No, uh, get rid of Wentz, start Wentz. from scratch. I, I think <sighs> why not Reich? Why why not Reich? He hasn't had the same starting quarterback two years in a row. Now look, is he more on a hot seat now than he was at the beginning of the season? A hundred percent because he vouched for Wentz, and I was a wenched, well, a wench, a Wentz. I'm not going to say apologist, but I just saw as much good. The numbers were good. Yeah, but there was also an argument to be made. He's kind of getting lucky, and and he's not really doing stuff when it really matters, and some of those numbers are happening when it's incidental. So I was just kind of like, I'm not ready to judge. I'm not ready to judge. But then these last, like, couple of games, you know, I'm just, I'm ready to judge. 
and I'm ready to say this is a problem. I think most likely we're stuck with them next year, but I also think Jimmy Ursay's way more upset than anybody else. And, you know, he called Chris Ballard and Frank Riken, you know, late night when they got back from Jacksonville, which is not something he normally does and is like, what are we going to do that's different? And I I think I and probably most Colts fan are like, okay, Chris, how are you going to swing it so we can get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson in here for a couple of years? Because yeah, well, I, I, I do feel like they have enough of a roster and that the defensive ends, the young defensive ends, will be enough of a pass rush that if they draft a good receiver or, or sign one in free agency, they are just a quarterback away from contending for the Super Bowl. But Wentz ain't it. All right. I Look, I you're probably right. I have no, no reason to, to not believe that. But the whole he hasn't had the same starting quarterback two years in a row, I feel like it's somewhat of a similar argument to Archie needs four years and his own players. And I just, I mean, like Tom Brady was a new quarterback at, at Tampa Bay and Matt Stafford is, wait, wait, Matt Stafford is the new quarterback at the LA Rams and they go 12 and four. I mean, like I, you know, Matt Stafford isn't like some incredible. He he is a lot good. He's historically on a terrible team, a lot better than Carson Wentz. And look, and but Ballard wasn't willing to to spend what he needed to spend in draft picks and in money to get Stafford. And I think we're all sort of regretting that now. But also, I think he's like, well, Stafford's a short term solution, whereas if Wentz had worked, and I think with what Reich had done with luck, the best the best performance, the best year of his career. It was going okay with Brissett, who was not a very talented guy until he got hurt. But I think Frank got the best out of him he could. And then with Phillip, again, he rehabilitated him to like a much better bounce back season. We got into the playoffs, probably should have beaten Buffalo in Buffalo. So it's like I felt like each of those three seasons with three different quarterbacks, Frank did about as good as he could have. And generally those, you know, with with Andrew and with Philip, those teams got better. And that's what was happening with this team this year. They were Until getting they better. Shit the and that's why these last two games, it's inexplicable. Like, what happened? Was it like, oh, they all got Pro Bowl uh, um, nods and like the, the celebrity of hard knocks just somehow gutted them? Were they all like, because of the COVID stuff, did it really kind of wipe them out more than anybody would admit? Because they looked like they were all suffering from from some sort of illness these last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, look, you you lose a win and in game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I from from afar and not being in the weeds like you are, I just go, oh yeah, well, if you fire the coach, it makes sense. I get it, but but I I know that's that's the simplistic way of looking at it. Listen, I do have a bone to pick with you. Okay, you mm-hmm. had some homework to do. Okay. And you have been delinquent on it for like a month. My hip hop list? Yes. I'm ready to go. I had it written down that I wanted to talk about it. Whoa. Well, but give a, first of all, shout out to Atlanta Golf Nut, our good friend Kent, who sent us the list when Ward was shitting all over hip hop of the last 20 years. Let me just say, Kent was the last person I expected to put this list together. Well, and Kent was the last person to put this list together because he <laughs> did not put this list together. Okay, His who did His son put the list together. Okay. Look, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I can say this about Kent. You look at Kent, and you know he's not putting a list of hip-hop songs together with any kind of credibility. But his son 
who's relevant and connected to what the kids like, put together a list of hip hop songs because Ward was shitting all over hip hop, sounding a lot like Brian Evans and just shitting all over hip hop of the last 15 years or so. So you have the list of hip hop. Yes. It was filled with, you know, I think, was there some Frank Ocean on there? No Frank Ocean. There was some Jay-Z. There was one Jay-Z, which was, I, I was sort of looking for, be, oh, Read you know the what? list of artists. There is a Frank, Frank Ocean is on the Tyler, the Creator track. Yeah, so you had Tyler, the Creator, you, have, you okay. had Kendrick Lamar, right? Which is the one I knew I had mentioned, Humble. I love that whole album. That Chance? was like, was that Chance was like, on there? yeah, I did love the Chance one. No problem uh, featuring Lil Wayne, um, Sicko Mode with Travis Scott, no role like models. Sicko Mode. It, it, most of these did grow on me. And this is where I was like, most of the time I, I'm recommended a song or maybe an artist or an album, and it, it doesn't get me right away. So the whole idea with this playlist was to take my time, take it to the gym, go Listen jogging. Listen to it multiple it. times? Yes. Yes. Great. Um, I think so, that you have to do that with every song. I really do. Um, I used to be like that. I'm better these days at identifying songs I like right away. Like in the first few bars, generally I know it. But with some of this stuff, since it is, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not stuff I've been listening to. I'm like, well, let me get my old mind um, wrapped around it a few times. And yeah, Jay-Z, as expected, the story of OJ, that's a great track. I didn't know that track, but I really liked it. Um, but then, and I'll tell you the first time through, then then this track comes up. I'm like, yeah, now this is what I'm talking about. But it was Tribe Called Quest. And yes, it was like a newer track, but it's from like a right, 90s yeah, hip hop yeah, band. I'll but, give you that. But then I, you know, and then like one I have like that I forgot. And I always like it when I listen to them. I just haven't spent a ton of time with them is Run the Jewels. Yeah, and there's the a Jewels great, are awesome. Killer Mike. Yeah. So um, Ooh La La was the track included here, which I really liked. I'd heard it like once or twice before, but now I've got it saved to another like favorites list. So overall, did the list change your overall assessment that modern hip hop sucks? Yeah. Well, it's like, I just want to mention two others I really like that I almost wouldn't even put into the realm of hip hop. They're almost just kind of doing something else. Um, it's The Bird by Anderson Pack. Pack. I'm not That's sure. That's hip hop, dude. He's hip hop. Well, Anderson this particular Pac- track is not. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do, All right. do you know The Bird? Do you want to talk about? I don't the know Bird? the names of any songs, but I know Anderson. So, so both with what he did with that. And I've heard since I've been listening to this track, somebody else recommend him in general. So I'll do a deeper dive on him. But then also Raylan Baxter, Small Don't Worlds. Don't know Raylan Baxter. It's like this beautiful song, and I wouldn't even really know how to to quantify it, or I should say uh, uh, classify it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but if that's what that's what they're saying is hip-hop these days, great. Like, I'm really into that, and I will look more into him, too. Um so, yeah, overall, I, the main thing I want to say, and there's a couple Childish Gambino, which I do like. We're taking the kids through community right now, which is man, still really, really good. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I want to say, yes, I, this encourages me. And, and this gives me a few artists to, to dive deeper into. And Spotify is good. If I start giving some of these artists more run on my, my playlist, it'll start suggesting more of that kind sure. of music to me so i am is... more of an apple music guy for many reasons but, sure uh... sure yeah hey, keeping the lights on I, I appreciate that um but i want to thank both kent and his son for for getting this to me and i've spent a lot of time with it i'll spend more time with it and um i 
you know, I guess we could tweet out this this list. We should I think Kent should listen to it and give us his opinion on the list? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, man. Let's not belabor the point anymore. We have an awesome interview conversation to intro here that you and I have been excited about this gentleman because we know how important this gentleman is to Indiana basketball. And look, your three assistants are crucial to the success of a program. There is no one more crucial and important to coach Mike Woodson than the gentleman we have on today. And he won't tell you that because he's too humble and too selfless. But he is a huge piece of what Coach Woody has built so far and is continuing to build. And I am so excited that we get to share this conversation because I don't think he's done an extended conversation really with anyone since arriving in Bloomington. And his story is sensational. Let's just listen to it right now. Oh, wait. But before we do, we are powered by... We had to slip that one in. Almost missed it. Almost <laughs> missed it. Let's get to the conversation. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've got a very special guest today. A guest who has not been here before, so hopefully we won't scare him off with this very long introduction Eric is about to give him. Okay. <laughs> Hailing from the great city, New York City, Brooklyn, New York, to be specific, where he attended Bishop Ford Catholic Central Catholic High School and became an All-American. He attended Lawrenceville School for a post-grad year before then going to this little school you may have heard of called Princeton and playing for Pete Carrill, one of the greatest coaches and greatest basketball minds this sport has ever seen. And while at Princeton, he led Princeton to the 1975 NIT championship at that point their only NIT championship he was Ivy League player of the year in 1976 and then was drafted ninth in the NBA draft by the way Scott May number two Quinn Buckner number seven and Bobby Wilkerson number 11 in that draft so we will get into that yeah that was a good a very good team really really good team played eight seasons in the NBA for the Hawks Sonics Clippers and Bucks he went back to Princeton after finishing his NBA career to get his degree in psychology. He then became an assistant at his old school, Lawrenceville, where he was also the curator of art, which we are going to get into and want to get into that. Three years later, promoted to head coach, won two Coach of the Year awards. In 1990, won the New Jersey Prep Championship. He then went on to become an assistant for Pete Carrill, for four years back at his alma mater, Princeton, before heading over to Columbia in 1995 as head coach. In 2003, he went to the NBA, where he was an assistant to Bloomington native Terry Stotts yes. for Atlanta, and then formed what I would imagine is one of the most fulfilling professional relationships he has had in his life, where he hooked up with the great Doc Rivers in 2004 with the Boston Celtics and won the NBA championship in 2008. From 2013 to 2020, went with Doc to L.A., where he was an assistant for the Clippers. And then, as luck and fortune would have it, he came to the greatest place in the world, Indiana University, where, working for Mike Woodson, he is the Director of Basketball Administration for IU Basketball. Please welcome, and we are really happy to have him, 
coach Armand Money Hill. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. All right. So yeah. listen, let's yeah. start with this. Your director of basketball administration, it's the question that's been buzzing around Indiana fans since it was announced. What does that mean? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, what it means is that uh, I'm basically I'm, I'm an, an observer. And uh, just like that matter, um, you know, I sit on the side and um, I sit in meetings. Um, I'm able to, you know, watch film, talk to coaches along with Woody. And then during a game, I could sit and watch the game, but um, basically um, talk with Woody. So um, it's, Woody's been terrific. Um, he allows me to uh, um, say what I have to say in the meetings. And, uh, you know, he's very open, but he's, you know, he's one of the best, as you know. Yes. Now, Coach, uh, you're being a little bit modest because we know, and we've been around the program a little bit, we've gotten to sneak into a couple practices. You are someone that Coach Woody trusts implicitly. And, and clearly, it seems like you guys have had a relationship for a long time. Before we kind of talk about Indiana, can you talk about where that relationship started uh, yeah, with Coach Woody? Well, I, it, bas it started in um, with the Clippers. When I, I worked with him uh, four years there. But I've, I've known Woody. I've, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, admired him and the job that he's done in, with the Atlanta Hawks and what he did with the Knicks. Um, and whenever we played against his teams, I was always nervous um, because <laughs> he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant mind, brilliant basketball mind uh, and defense. Um, but I, I would always tease him because whenever I, I had his scout, he was very good at drawing up a couple of plays out of a timeout. Now, most people usually run one play he would draw up two plays. And I'm, I was trying to tell the players, hey, he's, he's running two plays. He's running two plays. And they were never ready for it. But he was, he, you know, he's, 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 he's a master at it. So, but yeah, it was in uh, with the Clippers and uh, we developed a friendship and a relationship. And, you know, to me, he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. So um, it's easy for him, for me to come work with him. So, so clearly you have this, respect mutual respect and and friendship but to go from you know you're living on the east coast you're living on the west coast and now coach woodson what's what's the pitch he makes to you to get you to uproot yourself to bloomington indiana and try to reinvigorate this beloved program that is his alma mater well i was i was in atlanta I, uh, when the season was over and, and COVID and the bubble and everything was done and Doc had, uh, was released by the Clippers, I just came back to Atlanta. And, uh, you know, he, he called me um, probably two or three months after he got the job uh, with uh, Indiana. And he just said, hey, Money, you know, um, I don't have a coaching position, but um, I would love for you to uh, be a part of, you know, the program. And to me, that meant a lot um, for Woody to call me and to say that, hey, you know, I could use your help. Um, I was on the next plane coming here. So that's what, had, had you ever been to Bloomington, Indiana before that moment? No, no, never. And he and he and he told me that, oh, it doesn't get cold. <laughs> <laughs> 
I said, oh, okay, all right, okay. Uh, well, no, I've so never, a kind never... man, but not necessarily truthful. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. He, I mean, he's joking, but, you know, he goes, oh, money. You know, it, it doesn't get that cold. It's kind of, you know, it's it's, it's nice. Said, yeah, oh, okay. now yeah. we know why he's good with recruiting. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he, <laughs> he's terrific. No, I got to tell you, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there, coaches and stuff like that, but uh, whenever Woody says he's going to do something, he does it. And so to me, he was, he's always been a man of his word. So, you know, I, I have, I, I joke with him a lot, but he's, he's definitely a man of his word. And how have you found your time in Bloomington? Are you oh, enjoying the town? Yeah. Oh, I love it. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful college town. Um, the people are extremely nice. Um, of course they love their sports. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when I, decided to come here I got a text from Randy Whitman and he said well welcome to God's country and I said oh. I said okay okay uh, but, but you know it's 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 been a wonderful time I've had it's been extremely positive uh, being here has it been um you know when you're an assistant coach in the NBA which you were for a long time and obviously a head coach in college and an assistant for for coach Carrill you it's pretty laid out what your responsibilities are. You know what they are. Right. Um, your job has kind of been created because Woody wanted you there because he thought you could bring something to right. the table. Has it been a learning curve to figure out how you fit in? Where can you make an impact? How you fit with the other, with the assistant coaches and that um, and everything? Yeah, I mean, it's, of course, there's always an adjustment. Uh, but the first thing um, I myself wanted to know is, um, what is it that I can and cannot do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I spoke with the compliance uh, officer and, um, and they talked to me and told me what exactly I can do. And uh, at the end of everything, I said, well, I guess I'm just an observer. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but, also- mean, but, but it's perfect. I, you know, I, again, I can't complain at all. You, you're an observer, but also a confidant of of yeah. coach woody and and clearly look i think actions speak louder than words you are directly to his right during games that's yeah. an important position he clearly values you how much of your time with woody you know off the court not at practice but just off the court in his office maybe grabbing a meal is just talking ball talking this team talking yeah. what to do yeah i mean we we talk often um and we're always you know woody is always thinking forward, uh, thinking ahead of, uh, what's next. Um, and you know, it's, it's a great to watch him put the puzzle together and, and, you know, he, 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 he inherited a group of guys and he's constantly, uh, putting things together and putting, putting the puzzle together. And, and it's really a nice thing to observe and, you know, but his basketball IQ is, is off the charts. I mean, he's, he's, I've been around a lot of coaches and players and stuff like that, but um, the way he explains it, the way he talks about it, and he has a way with, with the young kids about, you know, there are times when he has to be stern, uh, but then there are other times when he's, he's a jokester and, yeah. you know, and so it, it, it relaxes the players to the point and the coaches. Um, and he's, uh, people don't understand how funny he is. He, he's, right. he's He's really a funny guy. Uh, so, I mean, but having that and then on the court, you know, when he has to get his point across, you know, it's like everything else. It's always, you know, tough love sometimes, but it's always 
teaching and it's always coaching and it's always trying to make them better. And it's always, uh, you know, but there's fun in it at the same time. And so he keeps an unbelievable balance. And, and but you could listen to pros that play for him and coaches that coach with him. You know, they all say the same thing. Uh, he's the greatest. Uh, he's, he's the best. He's, you know, and so, you know, there's an old saying, 50 Frenchmen can't be wrong. and uh and they're right about him so well i have to wonder you both have your phds in basketball you've been in the nba at the highest level uh, working with the best players and the best coaches for a very long time and now you're here in the college setting with younger less experienced players what can he make work at the collegiate level as opposed to the nba level well, what, what he's, you know, what he's doing is that he, he attacks, um, he attacks it daily. He's not looking two years ahead or anything. he's looking at the next practice, the next game. And he's also trying to see and observe how are the players improving? Um, are they improving uh, skill wise? Are they improving basketball IQ wise? Are they improving defensively? Um, and so it's always the next thing, the next day. I, I, I could tell you if, if, you know, yeah, we have two games coming up, but the only game he's concerned about is Iowa. That's it. Um, and, but he's also concerned that the players are getting better, that the players are learning, that he's coaching them. And you could see, um, you know, it's, it's very easy to see uh, when you're coaching, you want a player to, to be able to dribble, pass, and shoot. And sometimes... You know, one guy could do all three. Some guys could do two out of three. And so you're also observing whether or not a player is getting better skill-wise. Um, can he see? Can he pass? Can he run a play? And so all those things are, you know, he's, he's concerned about who he has. And he, and he has a saying that says, well, they're ours. These are our guys. and Let's, let's get them better. It's our job to make them better. And so that's, that's how I think. That's how I see it. So. So as someone who considers himself the self-professed observer, what you're about halfway into the season now. Cl- clearly, the Big Ten is just getting ramped up, but we played a bunch of non-conference games. What do you observe from this team at this point in the season compared to what you saw in your first few practices? Um, well, we have a really good group of guys. Um, I like I like our guys. I mean, and they and they're. Um, and their their personalities are starting to blossom, um, and and you know I don't know what happened last year or anything, but when I first uh, got here, um, I just wanted to see a few of them smile, <laughs> and and you know and now they're more than smiling; they're yelling across the court and laughing, and you know they're they're doing a lot of different things, and so uh, to me uh, that was the most important thing of watching them and Woody brought that out of them, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, now they're, you know, they're laughing and joking that, and and they hang together. They, I'm always observing uh, the bonding uh, the chemistry and everything else, uh, because once you have chemistry, you never want to mess with it. Um, And, you know, people talk about the team we won in Boston with the, with the Celtics the team had unbelievable chemistry um, and it started, you know, with the leader and the players and, and you saw them hang out together 
in the locker room, on the bus, on the plane, and, you know, on the court, you know, they're communicating. And, you know, uh, one time in college, I wrote a paper on nonverbal communication. And so it was all about following a team and what they did going to a tournament. And you can see by the communication, what they're doing and, the, and what it shows on the court. And when it shows on the court, I could look at you and I could do this. And that means for you to cut back door, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. You know, so there are little things that you observe. Uh, and that's what I see from this group. But they're, they're actually, I say actually, they're good kids. They're, right. they're really nice young men. And, and it, you know, just uh, to watch them and to see them talk and communicate and laugh, it's just a pleasure to watch. So that's, that's phenomenal. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, I have to ask before we go too much further and we're going to go back into your backstory, but you have the best nickname that anyone could ever have. (laughs) Your nickname is money. Where does that come from? That comes from uh, Chris Paul. Um, Really? Yeah. Chris Paul, we were in with the Clippers. Um, I was calling him that. Um, because he was such an unbelievable point guard and the things that he did on the court, they were so, I mean, and, and I would say, man, that's money, you know? (laughs) And and I mean, whether he took a shot or made a pass or, you know, but his vision and his IQ and everything was, was always, um, you know, and I, and we would call each other that. And all of a sudden he just kept calling me that. And so all the other players on the team, started calling me money. I'm like, hey, no, that's him. <laughs> He's money. That's not me. You know, and so, uh, but it stuck. And then, you know, of course, Woody was there and everything. And so if I go to LA and I talk to the, you know, the Clippers or the players, you know, they're, they're usually going to refer to me as that. But it came from Chris Paul. Do the players on this Indiana team refer to you as Coach Hill or do they call you money? No, they call me Coach Money. Coach Money? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's the best. It is the absolute, not only is it the best nickname, but you were given the nickname by one of the greatest players to ever play the game. I mean, that is, that's a good thing to have. That is a good thing to have. It's pretty cool. But yeah, the players here, you know, some of them will say Coach Hill, but a few of them will say Coach Money. I'm like, what? Who? (laughs) (laughs) Coach Money. I think it's time we step in into the time machine. And go way back um, to the very beginnings of you and basketball being a thing. You grew up in, uh, we in Indiana, of course, from Indiana. We like to think Indiana and basketball are synonymous. But we always give a tip of the hat to basketball in New York. Right. What did basketball mean to you as as a kid growing up in New York? and, And how did you find your passion for it? Um, well, I mean, it, it started, uh, cause I watched my older brothers play. Um, and I, I always say that, uh, you know, watching them work, watching their work ethic, watching them get up at seven in the morning to go out and work on their game. So I, I, I watched what it, what it took for them to work, to be better. Um, and then of course, playing the game, I just, you know, you felt fall in love. You walk into a gym, you smell the ball and you say, ah. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love this game, you know, and so that's where it started. And then, you know, as you play and you, you play for a team and, and then grammar school and then you, you go on. I, tr- I try to tell kids, um, 
you know, I was, I was in the seventh grade and uh, a coach came to me and I was trying out for the team. And he said, look, you could either uh, be a star on the JV team or you could, you know, learn how to play the game on the varsity. And I was like, uh, okay, I'm gonna try varsity, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> so I go to the varsity team and I didn't play one minute. I didn't play, I didn't get in one game, you know, and I'm, I'm looking down at the bench saying, hey, coach, you know, like, you know, <laughs> you know? And, I mean, we played like 20 games, um, but I learned a lot. And I learned about getting knocked on the floor, getting up, uh, keep fighting. Um, and so when that season was over, I didn't play one minute and I talked to myself and I said, next year, I'm going to start. And that was my, my mentality. And so that's where the work that I put into it. Now, New York is legendary for, you know, blacktop games, Rucker right. Park, things like right. that. Um, right. And legends that came out of there. Did um, you, did you yeah. run into any of them in your younger days? Oh, playing? oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I played with fly Williams, uh, you know, who was one of the best, the best playground players ever. I mean, right. there, there was nobody that could keep their body in front of them. I mean, but uh, he was just unbelievable scorer, uh, but I played against you know a bunch of guys, all the guys. I would play in the Rucker Park. I play everywhere, um, but I had a legendary coach that he was. Now they call it AAU, but back then he was just a coach, and his nickname was the Rapper, right? Ooh. And this is this is back in seventy, right? Okay, <laughs> and and uh, and this is a Rapper, and so. Um, he was unbelievable. Uh, he came up to me, I was in the park and he came up to me and he goes, Hey, are you Armand Hill? And I said, yeah. He said, you want to play for my team? And I said, well, who's your team? <laughs> you know? And he said, uh, the crushers. That was the name of the team, the crushers. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. So he reached into a paper bag and gives me a uniform. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, uh, great. You know, he said, be, be at this gym at such and such time. I said, okay. But what I learned from him is that he knew nothing about X's and O's. He knew nothing about drawing up plays or anything else, but he knew about picking talent and he mm -hmm. understood talent. And so uh, before the game, he, we put our hands together and he goes, you know what to do. <laughs> you know? And then we go out and play, <laughs> you know? Uh, but then, you know, like the last two minutes of a game, uh, he would call a timeout, and we had this guy named Ernie Douse, and his nickname was Duke. So we say Ernie Duke. So uh, he said, uh, he called a timeout, and he goes, okay, the doing is Duke. Give it to Duke. And we say, okay. You know? <laughs> so we give him the ball at the end of the game. Boom, he make all these big shots. But he, he was a master of understanding talent, um, and that was the beginning of me understanding who wins games. Hmm. You know, because you could draw up a play and stuff like that. He knew nothing about X's and O's, but he knew talent. And that to me, that, that, that stuck with me uh, growing up. Wow. Who were, um, besides some of the playground ballers that, that you, I'm sure, looked up to, were there guys playing in the NBA? And, and I think people that are like young people, younger than us, they don't realize that the NBA wasn't always this global phenomenon that it is right. now. Right. But, you know, it, it wasn't that easy to get games on television. You weren't being able to see every game back then. No. But who, who were there players that were your idols or heroes? Yeah, well, I, I remember watching a guy named Archie Clark. 
um, and you could look him up. He was the first guy that I saw do a crossover, <laughs> crossover dribble. Yeah. And so I'm watching the game with my dad and Archie Clark comes down and he boom and crosses over. And I was like, wow, did you see that? And so I immediately ran downstairs and started working on that, on that dribble. Wow. Um, um, so, but yeah, I mean, guys growing up, I mean, I watched them all. And of course, being in New York, you love the Knicks. And so, you know, I was excited about Walt Frazier and Earl the Pearl and, and the Bush and, and Willis Reed. And I mean, it was just, and, and one day I, I had a chance to meet them. I, you know, a guy that was refereeing my high school games said, I'm going to take you to a Nick game. And I go, oh, okay, great, great. So we go to Nick game and he brings me in the locker room. And I get to shake their hand. And I never thought, I said, man, these guys are huge. I couldn't believe how big they were. You know, I'm like, oh, man, you know. So, but that was, you know, that's part of growing up and being in New York and being in Madison Square Garden and understanding what basketball really meant. But there. a real quick word just to follow up on that. When you were in that locker room shaking hands, and you're in, I assume, high school or middle school right. at that point. High school, yeah. High school. At that point in your life, I mean, you're obviously a very good basketball player. But are you thinking at all that I'm going to be in that locker room one no, day? Like, I'm no. going to be that guy. No, I didn't. I was just uh, excited to go to the game. I was even more excited to go in the locker room. And I was, you know, ecstatic by shaking their hands. Yeah. I read about them in the New York Post. I read about them. I watched TV, you know. And so these were the guys that I, you know, when I was in the park, I was trying to be them. Yeah. Uh, so Awesome. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's where it started. You mentioned your father watching that game with Archie doing the crossover with your dad. You mentioned your older brothers as role models, even work ethic and getting into the gym early. I Could you just paint a little bit of a fuller picture for us of your, your household growing up that clearly a lot of people inside of it were into basketball? Um, well, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in the projects. I grew up in Brooklyn um, and uh, there were seven of us. Um, and I have three brothers and 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 three sisters. Um, and where do you uh, fit? Where are you in the line? I'm kind of in the middle. Okay. In the middle, or you know, next to the not the youngest, but next I'm there. Got and, it. Um, uh, my dad worked two jobs, uh, so you know he never had a chance. He'd work uh, the twelve to eight shift uh, at night. And then come home, eat breakfast, and then work from uh, probably 11 to 6, you know, a mm -hmm. second job. My mom uh, knew nothing about sports, um, knew nothing, you know, she liked uh, hockey because they they fought a lot. She said, oh, they fight <laughs> all the time. You know? <laughs> and she liked horse racing because she liked the little jockeys, you know, so I was <laughs> I said, okay, you know, but she would tell me about which jockey was pretty good and stuff like that. But I learned about um, the game, uh, one, watching my brother, stuff like that, um, and watching a little TV. But they they taught me about work ethic. They taught me, you know, watching my dad work two jobs, stuff yeah. like that, and watching my mom raise all of us and, and feed us and clothe us and all that stuff. So, um, but basketball was something that I did and something that I fell in love with. And, you know, it just, and did your, did your other, did your brothers excel with basketball beyond high school or were you the only one who, who got to go yeah. and make a life out of it? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, my brothers, they did play college, college ball. 
um, but I'm the only one that kind of, you know, took it another step further. Um, but I learned from them. I learned what to do, what not to do, stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, um, I still say today, my, the brother that's right above me, he's the best one in the family. He's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he was unbelievable. I mean, when 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 he came to the park to play, the park filled up. Wow. And, and there were people sitting on top of the fence uh, watching. Wow. Him. Yeah. Now, the other, when you do some reading about your life and, and you just look at the places you've been, especially when it comes to education, clearly education was a priority for, for you and in your family. Yes. Um, wh <laughs> where did that come from? Was that instilled from your parents at an early age? And then um, how yeah. did that lead to going to one of the great academic institutions in the world in Princeton? Right. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they mentioned uh, education was important to us um, and the family. Um, and uh, when it was time for me to be recruited, um, I was being recruited by, you know, nice college basketball teams like Maryland and Louisville and Notre Dame, you know, back then and, the, and a few other others. And, um, and then uh, Coach Carrillo came to watch me play. <clears throat> and um, he was laying down in the bleachers uh, at the top of the bleachers and here this old guy little guy um laying down the bleachers with a bow tie on and i'm like you know who's this guy you know laying up there you know um and so after the game you know he comes down and my high school coach says armand this is pete carrill and he says and you know before he shook my hand he said your left hand dribble is weak he said you need uh, more snap on your two-hand chest pass and you need more spin on your shot and I was like, so again, I said, who is this guy? <laughs> but um, in the back of my mind, I knew he was right. Wow. I knew he was right. And he's the only coach, college coach, that told me what I had to work on. All the other coaches were telling me how great or how good I could make their program and all this other kind of stuff. But he's the only one that said, told me about my game. And he watched my game. And then he said, I, I could only thing I could offer you is a hard time. Wow. <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay, okay. Well, I want to play for this guy, you know. Um, you know, and so was I it that know. quick for you? Was it that quick for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was that quick because I loved his honesty. Wow. Um, and I didn't think that the other guys were being honest. Um, oh, we're not going to recruit anybody else, you know, you know, but I go, okay. And I, I went on a few visits, but I, when I went to be with coach, he was just, you know, he, he, it was basketball that he was teaching me. Um, and then I, you know, I didn't know much about Princeton, uh, but a, a guy that had brought me down there, Lou Zuckman, we were in part of a group and he, and he said, you know, we're going to take a trip and talk about Ivy League schools. And, and I was like, what are Ivy League schools? Mm -hmm. You know, and then I then I realized, oh, they grow ivy on the walls. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. you know? Is that what it is? You know, um, uh, but I applied to Princeton and and what happened was I got rejected. And so I was, you know, to me, that was a slap in the face to myself and my parents and my teachers mm -hmm. at Bishop Ford. Because I thought I was average student, and, you know, I was not a, a genius or anything. Um, and so I said, well, how can I prove it? You know, because they didn't know whether or not I could do the work at Princeton. And, and so they said, well, if you go to the school Lawrenceville, 
and you could do the work there than you could do the work at Princeton. And so to me, that was a challenge that I said, well, because inside I knew I could play basketball, but what I didn't know is whether or not I could handle myself in that classroom. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a challenge and to, you know, my parents and everything, but you know, they knew that I couldn't get a scholarship because Ivy Leagues don't give scholarships. So I had to work, I had to, you know, do work study and all that kind of stuff. But if I had to do it over again, I'd say, yeah, um, because of one, Coach Carrillo, and to the, the chance of, of being challenged academically that I thought was important. So that, that is, we would, be, we would be remiss not to mention that the pitch that Coach uh, gave you is very similar to what we heard Coach Woodson gave to Trace Jackson Davis to get him to come back. Was immediately started telling him all the things he needed to improve upon to get right. his game to the next level. I do wonder when you're you're deciding between this coach and this academic institution, this is the move you want to make. It seems like there were easier paths you could have taken. Did you even think about professional basketball beyond that? Or were you just looking at an education and that basketball would help you get that education? No, I mean, uh, growing up in high school and playing high school basketball, my goal was to play against the best. Hmm. I wanted to play against the best. And so when I was practicing, I was practicing with the thought in mind of who's the best in California or who's the best in Detroit, mm -hmm. who's the best in, you know, whoever they, because one day I was going to have to meet them. And mm -hmm. that's where I, my preparation in, in, in practice or practicing on my game. So I knew that I wanted to play against the best. Um, and so I never wavered from that. Um, but academically, you know, I also knew that, you know, what if somebody takes the ball away from me? What, what am I going to do then? You know, and so, and it's been done, it's it done all the time. And they say, give me that ball. You're not going to play anymore. Mm -hmm. And so now you have to fall back on something else. And so that was, you know, my thought back then was, well, you know, I better go read that book. I better go write that paper. <laughs> you know, and so but it helped me because it gave a, a balance, and that's that's what I was looking for—a um, balance and challenge and stuff like that. I alluded to this in the intro, but I read that clearly basketball was a passion for you growing up from a pretty early age. But a second passion of yours was art. Is yeah. what was what I read. Where did that come from, and how did how did that show itself in your younger years? Um, well, I was, again, I guess a lot of things happened in the seventh grade. Uh, but <laughs> in the seventh grade, uh, uh, they were having an art contest. Um, and the winner of the art contest <clears throat> won a scholarship to art school at the Brooklyn Museum. Um, and so um, I painted a scene of, you know, Mount Fuji and with a, you know, a bonsai tree in the front and a nice fishing boat, you know, in the water. And I won. <laughs> wow. So, um, so but, I got, was to, that something that you just did as a kid? You just painted on your own drew? Um, no, I just, I, you know, I love art and I've always, you know, but you know, they say, well, you know, if you, you know, if you win, if you paint something, you, you win, you go to art school. And I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so I, I did that. And then, so I won. So that summer, 
I got to spend at the Brooklyn Museum. So while I'm on the bus riding to the Brooklyn Museum, I'm seeing my boys and my buddies playing basketball. I'm like, man, I want to be on the court. You know? I want to be on the court while they were playing. But I was taking the bus ride to the Brooklyn Museum. And so, I mean, so it was great. I mean, I learned about, you know, artifacts, charcoal, paintings, sculptures, furniture, you know, everything that's going on in the museum. Uh, but then I had to make a decision um, because they offered me to come back the next summer. And I said, well, you know, I'm seeing my buddies playing basketball out there. You know, so I got to decide what was going to help me get to college. Right. And so I said, well, I better stick with basketball, but I would never lose my love or, you know, my love for art. I will never lose that. But I had to decide, you know, I had to figure out something. How am I going to get to college? And so I, I stuck with staying in the park. I I know how busy you guys are uh, with with the team and practices and game schedule. Have you had a chance to go to the art museum at Indiana on campus yet? No, but I but I plan on it because as I was riding around with uh, Isaac, um, you know he yeah Isaac Green he pointed, sure he pointed uh, the art museum to me and he goes you know and then I met a couple of people that have worked or have done some stuff there so. I can't wait to do it. Hopefully in the spring or something, I'll get a chance. Yeah, to. It's a special yeah. place. Believe yeah. it or not. I mean, listen, I've been going to Indiana since I was a kid. I was there for four years. I go back all the time. I brought my kids to Indiana this last trip uh, right. over Christmas break. And we went to the art museum. It's the first time I'd ever been to the art museum. Wow. Yeah. And it I can't blew wait. me away. It blew yeah. me away. I'm it looking really forward did. to it. So. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Okay. Back to, back to now we're at Princeton. Right. Uh, okay. How hard was Princeton? Uh, Princeton was um, hard in the sense that um, you couldn't BS uh, because, <laughs> cause, uh, you know, in the classroom, right. because most of the teachers wrote the book. <laughs> so, so you couldn't get away with, you know, oh, well, you know, this is what I read, you know, no, the teacher wrote the book. So you, know, you had to be on the money with that. But no, it was... Um, I had a great time. Uh, you know, the challenges were, were terrific. Um, I learned how to write, which was, but I learned how to write at Lawrenceville. That's, that's what helped me. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and at Princeton, you have to write papers um, all the time. And so in order for you to graduate from Princeton, you have to write a thesis. Um, and so as an undergraduate, um, and so the classes were inspiring the teachers were interesting and then i would go to the basketball court but you know the backup i wanted to be an architect to be mm -hmm. honest um and so i took some architecture courses when i was a freshman and i realized that there's no way i could do this uh, because the time uh, commitment yeah in architecture you know when you when you finish classes and then you go you eat dinner and then you go back to the studio well, you're staying in a studio till four or five in the morning. Wow. And so when you go back to my dorm, then I'd have to get up at seven to go eat breakfast, to go to class or whatever work study I had to do. And so to do that for a semester, I said, I, I, you know, <laughs> I got to give up something here. You know? right. There's no way because I wanted to continue, you know, getting better at basketball. But at the same time, I wanted to figure out to do something academically. And so I, I picked psychology. And so, and, and but I wrote there, my uh, thesis on the psychology of art. So it was, 
Really? Oh, oh yeah. Kind of, so it kind of worked out all right. So, wow. Yeah. Well, and and when you're obviously there had to be an interest in psychology, but was there also a, a strategy in that of like, well, hopefully I'll go on to play basketball for a while, but then with this psychology degree, which you went back to get ultimately, right. what right. was the strategy there? Or did you were just like, hey, I'm going to be a basketball coach and psychology is a great no, thing. No, I never thought that I would be a coach. <laughs> no? Really? Never, never, ever. Um, uh, and it just so happened that uh, when I finished Princeton, the high school coach at Lawrenceville called me up and said, hey, why don't you come help me out? And I said, well, you know, coach, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get away. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lean towards art. I'm trying to learn about and try to go into that, that world. And he said, well, let me see what I could do. There's, uh, you know, Lawrenceville had a huge art collection that, you know, at that time they didn't know what they had. Um, so from artifacts to sculptures, again, to furniture, to paintings, um, you know, you have alumnus that would give them artwork and they would take the artwork and put it in a closet. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, well, you know, but uh, so I did the inventory and everything else and put together, you know, the collection and, and then you try to build the collection for academic purposes. So let's say a teacher wanted to improve the, the uh, photography collection, you know, for classes or painting. So, you know, that was that was a lot of fun <laughs> to do that. So, but getting back to, you know, going back and taking psychology or, you know, I was just taking that course and I loved the course, you know, as far as, you know, experimental or, you know, I, I'm not an experimental guy, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was good, it was exciting. And then you get to learn about the mind and the body. So let's go back to your time at Princeton because you quickly become, you know, you're looking at your stats, just an extremely consistent performer from the time you got there till the time you left. And because of the background in psychology and now you're a coach and we've heard Woody talk so much about this recently, I am curious about winning because you went to a place where, look, Princeton doesn't get the top talent from across the country. And Coach Kirill was a legend for getting the most out of the talent that he had, and his system was amazing. But you guys win the 1975 NIT championship in a time where the NIT is a real deal. I mean, right. I think the other teams that were in the Final Four, it's like St. John's, Oregon. I can't remember who the, the third one. Uh, Providence. Providence. Uh, you know, yeah, they were uh, South Carolina. How so? My question to you is: how, how hard at the college level and the professional level is winning, and how do you teach someone how to how to win? That's that's a very very good question. Um, but you you try to teach um, players. Uh, you know, there are players that play to win. You know, I try to break it down real simple. You go to the horse races, um, and so you bet on the horses. Win plays a show. There are a lot of kids that play for show. Hmm. They want to hmm. throw through their legs, behind their back, bop, 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 you know, dunk, and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and to me, you're coming in third. <laughs> you know, I like that. place, I don't know anybody that just likes to place and come in second. Right. So... I'm asking the players to play to win. And so there are things that you do on the court that 
you play to win the game and you do the little things. And, and a lot of it is sacrifice, uh, uh, you know, sharing the ball, uh, helping your teammate out, uh, setting picks, cutting, you know, sometimes you cut, sometimes you're not, you're not cutting for yourself. You're cutting to open your teammate up, you know? And so there, there are a lot of little things that you teach uh, in the game of basketball and which I learned from coach Carrillo. Um, and, and, and you, you play, you play for each other. And Woody's always preaching that, you know, you know, you play hard, you play smart, but you play for each other. Um, and to me, that's how you begin to teach, you know, guys. So you, you could tell when a guy is somewhat being not selfish, but, you know, he's taking a shot and there's somebody could contest it, but if he makes one more pass, the guy's wide open. And so, you know, you're trying to get a better shot or the best shot that you can. Um, and, you know, playing for Coach Carrillo, um, when I was a player, he said, Armand, you know, uh, what's the easiest shot in basketball? And I said, you know, I was being a smart ass. So, you know, I said, free throw. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, you know, it's the layup, you know. So he said, so we're going to move the ball around until we get a layup. And so a lot of people have this idea that Princeton holds onto the ball. They try to delay and all this other kind of stuff. But that's not what we were trying to do. We were trying to move the ball around till we got a layup. So that's where all the back doors and all those other things that came about. Um, but we moved the ball around and we, we got the shot that we wanted. Um, and then when I came back to coach with him, he said, Armand, what's the easiest shot in basketball? And I said, coach, we already went, you know, you told me. Like, <laughs> you know? And he goes, no, three-pointer. And I said, three point. I said, why? He says, because they give you three, stupid. I said, oh, oh, okay. Okay. So we worked the ball around till we got threes. And so we led the nation in three point shooting at Princeton. And then, and so now, 20 years, 25 years later, you go to the NBA and analytics, and they're all talking about threes and twos, threes and layups. Well, he was 25 years ahead of his time telling us you know, what it what, what we had to do in order to win. Um, and so you teach players what it takes to win a game. And that's what he taught us. And, 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 and again, I, I don't want to, there was one game that we played Virginia and we only had one coach and the, the other assistant coach was on a recruiting trip. And so we're playing Virginia at Virginia, Wally Walker and all these other great players were there. And I get a couple of fouls, so Coach Carrillo goes crazy. Well, you know, ah, yeah, yeah. And so they give him two technicals, and he's thrown out the game. So we don't, <laughs> so we don't have a coach, you know. So, so he, he calls us together, and he points to one of the, our guys, you know, Peter Malloy, we call him Muggs. And he says, Muggs, you coach. You coach the team. And so I said, okay. And, you know, so Coach had to leave the court. And we wind up winning the game. Um, <laughs> And so, but, th- but that's the, 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 the beauty of his teaching. Right. That we could actually play and win a game without him being there. Um, and so the, the reporters come into the locker room and they go to Muggs and they say, you know, well, wh- what'd you do? What, what, you know, how'd you guys do it? And so Muggs said, well, I put myself in the game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's how the, the, the camaraderie and everything that we had with each other. Um, but that's teaching players how to win and, he could teach you how to win without him being there. And to me, wow. that, was, that was, you know, very important for me. It, to, to see. It, it is not lost on me that, you know, you talked about the beginning of your basketball career as a kid playing for a gentleman 
who with the crushers who knew very little about X's and O's and just knew about talent. And then you go to Pete Carrill, who is widely considered a genius when it comes to X's and O's. And, right. and you kind of get, you get both ends of the spectrum there, right. which right. I can see why, even though you didn't think you would ever be a coach, all of that has to be building this reserve of basketball knowledge for you that has led to this extremely successful career in coaching. Um, yeah, well, I listen. I listen well. <laughs> you I mean, observe. I, you know, I sit in the corner and I watch and I pay attention. <laughs> and then, you know, but, but that's that's the joy of, of learning and, and teaching. Right. Um, so, so that's what I enjoy doing. So you, I, I have to ask about winning the championship. I, I did not see any championships prior to the NIT championship. You didn't win in high school, correct? Uh, no, we won. We won state something, blah, 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 you know, but, you know, but yeah, no, we won. I mean, you won a state title in uh, high school. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't remember. I'm so old, but, <laughs> but, but you know, all I know is my, my, my team, we won. You won. All okay. right. It was the last game of the season and you won. We won. Okay. Uh, so there's a pattern here. Cause this is going to continue into your professional ranks too, of, of winning a title. What did that mean to you? Uh, winning a title with uh, that particular team? And is it something we hear about with the great Indiana teams of the past? Are you still in touch with all those guys? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like a bond for life, right? Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, when we when we see each other, it's like, hey, what's up, champ? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, what was uh, exciting about winning the NIT, uh, you know, it wasn't like big, you know, rah-rah and all this other kind of stuff. We were actually just, you know, sitting in the locker room and we kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, yeah, we just, we just did this. Wow. You know, it was a, a recognition of each other and we, we knew, and, and we still, you know, to this day, four of us go visit coach every year. Really? And we go spend the day with him and, you know, it got to the point when we used to go visit him, he would, make us this egg you know like he was a, a chef you know we would eat eggs you know <laughs> and it was, it was spanish he's spanish eggs however we make it but you know we sit there then we go out to eat and drink a few beers and and tell stories but i i i know that every time i've been in his presence i've always learned something and there are times when i would go there and just take a notepad out and just write down some of the stuff he says but the four of us are you know, we're still tight. We're still, you know, constantly in contact with each other. But yeah, we're, we're it's a bond that right. can't be broken. Yeah. So as you're winning the, the you win the NIT championship 75, you're the Ivy League player of the year in 76. Clearly now, I would imagine that professional basketball is on your mind as, yes. as the next step. Right. Um, the draft comes around and you're drafted ninth, in the country. Clearly the draft was different then than it is now. It was not the extravaganza that it has become. Right. I, I doubt that you bought a suit with 14 buttons that was hot pink and a no. feather fedora. No. But but what was that experience like for you and then starting your professional career? Well, um, I was actually uh, eating lunch with, with Coach and these three players. We were eating lunch at this place called Uncle Joe's in Princeton um, and the uh, the cook comes out of the out of the kitchen and goes 
hey, Armand, you just been drafted. I go, oh, really? You know? What? <laughs> yeah. You know, I said, oh, wow. You know, so we all like, yeah, hey, you know. But, but that's how I found out that I was drafted. Uh, wow. By, by the cook out of the company. At Uncle Joe's. At Uncle Joe's, yeah. So, but, uh, but going to the pros was, uh, you know, it was obviously uh, something that, you know, was great. Um, going there, playing for uh, Coach Hubie Brown. Uh, being drafted, and uh, you know, I try to tell kids today I would have been a lottery pick. You know, nine. <laughs> <laughs> they say, "Yeah, get out of here, coach. Get out of here." <laughs> uh, but um, but no. So the whole experience of, of playing and playing with the best because that's what I wanted to do. Remember, I said that, and so and I got to to play against uh, Earl the Pearl and Frazier oh. and and all these great guys. So it was it was, and then you know, you play against bird and magic and kareem and all those guys so it was it was a treat well okay let's let's do it this way because it's tough to say who is the best you ever played against who is the best you ever played with so it's you and you get to pick four other guys to run with right all time Uh, that that, that you you did have to play with them or against them so your peers who's your team um jordan yeah good choice (laughs) magic yeah. Bird. Yeah. And Kareem. Wow. Yep. You all guys right. will win a lot of games. All I all, all I want to do is make layups. That's all I want to do. <laughs> That's all I could do. So you know. um I mean your NBA life, you 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 were there for eight years in the NBA. You played for for several different franchises, four great coaches like Hubie Brown and with great people. Um, because this is an Indiana podcast, it was a very brief time I saw, but you did cross paths, I believe, with the Sonics with Ray Tolbert. Um, is that right? Yeah, probably. I, I know I crossed paths with Randy Whitman. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, All right. Atlanta. Yeah. And oh, very yeah. good. And yeah. and and uh, and obviously, because you said Randy had texted you when you got the uh, Indiana job, was did you form a relationship with Randy? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was. Uh, you know, one, he was just a pure shooter, right. just a beautiful shooter. And so uh, I know if I found him, I was going to get an assist. <laughs> <laughs> That's that Princeton education paying off right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, but I also played with Doc Rivers. That's where I met Doc. Right. So that's where, you know, we would develop. So, you know, it's not where you would call the guys up all the time, stuff like that, but it was a relationship out of respect and, you know, we see each other, stuff like this that. This may sound silly, but I'm going to ask it. Did you enjoy your time in the NBA? Was it, was it rewarding oh, yeah. personally? Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a treat. I mean, it was uh, all the work that, you know, when you're young and you're growing up and you're working on your game and, you know, there's a lot of players that um, laced up their sneakers that, never got there right so I, I felt very fortunate to to be able to you know get there and and run up and down the court and get elbowed and stuff like that all right now you're you're a really nice guy but you got to give us a little a little heat on this one who did you really dislike playing against like who did you really want to beat um it's not anybody that i really wanted to beat it's just guys that were very tough to defend and who was that? Who would be on that list? The same list that you just gave us? No, no. Uh, <laughs> the one guy was Pete Maravich. Oh, wow. What was, was that like? Tell us he, about that. He was just 
unbelievable. I, I try to tell people that he was 6'5", um, could handle the ball better than, you know, all these guys that are handling the ball now, they, they had to watch his videos right. um, because he was the best. You know, Magic talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Uh, but Pistol Pete, um, you didn't know whether or not he was going to pass it or shoot it. Um, mm -hmm. He was that gifted with the ball. So if I held him to 25, I felt pretty good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know but I, I didn't do that very often. Um, but uh, Pistol Pete was one guy and uh, Nate Tiny Archibald. Oh, yes. Was another tough. He was a tough guy to defend um, because, you know, he was tough tough as nails, a lefty, could get to the basket, could score. I mean, he led the league in scoring and assists. I mean, that's that's hard to do. Um, and so I'd say those two guys were on my list of, of out of respect to guard. You, you talked about growing up a Knicks fan, and, and Madison Square Garden clearly holds a special place in every Knicks fan's heart. And really anybody who respects the game of basketball knows how special Madison Square Garden is. Uh, and you got to shake hands with some of those legends when you were in high school. But now you're in the NBA and you get to play at Madison Square Garden fairly regularly every year. Uh, what was that like? Did you ever allow yourself to just like pinch yourself and go, yeah. I can't believe I'm here? Well, well my very first game, I'll, I'll tell you the story. Uh, we're playing the Knicks. It's an exhibition game. And this is your I, first game as a professional my basketball first player? First game as a professional basketball player. Wow. I go in the game. And I'm guarding Earl the Pearl Monroe. <laughs> and so I'm standing behind him and I'm saying, do it, Earl, do it. Like, do it, you know? And he went, ha, ha, and shot it, you know? And I was like, I wanted to say, yeah, you know? And next thing you know, I, next, next thing you know, I hear, eh. I'm like, what? You know? Brown called me to the side and he goes, hey, this is the NBA. You can't be a cheerleader, you know? Like, <laughs> but but it, was, it, was, it was that defining moment for me uh, when I got to play against one of my idols and, and, and I, cause I've seen him do that move hundreds of times. Right. And, and, and I was like, do it or I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb and stupid me, you know, but anyway. What, that is we, sensational. We have all gotten to learn a lot about the game of basketball from Hubie Brown with his, his wonderful color commentary. Uh, but but getting to play for him, what's something you took from your time with him that you find yourself still thinking about and using when you're coaching at Indiana University? Oh, he's he's a he's the master at X's and O's. I mean, he mm -hmm. he knows his 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 basketball, um, and you know just little things um, like let's say because we used to trap, you know, full court press and trap, and he taught us how to trap where we had to lock our legs almost where our legs were like an X, you know, huh. when you, and, and so it may seem like a little thing, but it's a huge thing because now the players can't bust through there and get through. And, you know, but it's, it's, it's all those little things that he, that he taught um, that I thought, you know, still in my mind, but I've, I've learned from Lenny Wilkins. I've learned from Don Nelson, you know, all these guys, there's something in me from all of them. Um, so, so, Take away the first game against Earl the Pearl Monroe. What is, if I said to you, you've got to give me one NBA moment from your career that like, if you're just sitting by yourself thinking about your career, you're like, yeah, that was real good. Is there one moment that you have one shot you made, one uh, performance? No, <laughs> no, but there are games that I played that, you know, that's, that stick in mind. Like, you know, going against Kareem or going against Bill Walton. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, it was just, you know, they, they just won the championship. They, they're coming to Atlanta. We're both like 9-0 and or something. So it was going to be a really nice game. Uh, well, well, at least we thought so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the pregame, you know, you come out for the layup line and Walton doesn't come out, you know. And so, you know, all of a sudden the big redhead starts, comes out and he runs around the court. He just runs around the court to warm up, you know, and everybody's like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, um, so the game starts and, you know, he goes to make a move and Tree Rollins, boom, blocks it, you know, and then he comes down again and uh, Dan Roundfield gets it, boom. And the third time down, he runs down, goes up and he says, give me the MF ball. <laughs> and he catches it, boom, drop steps and dunks it, boom, on everybody. And he says, take that. Wow. <laughs> that to me was impressive. Mm -hmm. I yes. Said, I said, I, you know, I couldn't clap, but I was like, woohoo, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, there's nothing that I, nothing that I've ever done that I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that was cool. No, nah, but there's certain games that in, the, in my head that, you know, that is. Wow. You so. seem such a, a, a fan of the game beyond even wanting to, to have this title or, or that accolade. I do wonder when you're, you're dealing with a bunch of guys on the IU team right now who are all the best player on their high school team. Right. And when you, you decided to sit the bench on the varsity instead of being JV, or even at when you get to the NBA level, after having just won MVP of your own league, and now you you find yourself in a role and feeding somebody else who's the score. Right. How, how, how do you take... What what feels to me like a a selflessness that maybe is natural to you or you you fostered or your parents did. How do you get kids to buy in in this day and age in the social media age? Right to the team. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of tough because you know nowadays you have uh, more parents and friends involved. Mm. You know, and so yeah. they're hearing a lot more you know, about what they could be doing and what they should be doing um, than what I heard when I was growing, you know. Um, so they have a lot more pressure. Um, and I think the pressure comes from their family and friends and or their entourage, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what you're trying to do is to teach them, uh, you know, what it really takes to win. Uh, and you got to be, uh, you, you got to give of yourself, uh, you know, whatever you do in life, you know, whether I work in an office or something, I'm still going to have to give of myself to make that company or business or whatever better. And so here they're trying to make the team better, but there's so much caught up in, you know, oh, you're going to make the next level or you're going to be the pro or you're going to be this or that. Um, and to me, I, I just tried to, you know, if I could pass on any knowledge, I'd say, hey, just try to be the best that you can be in your role. And I know if everyone has heard that before, but what is your role on this team? And, and if they could understand what their role is, then they, and the roles change, trust me. Mm. Uh, roles change with injuries, roles change with graduation, roles change, but you got to continue to improve 
yourself or your game to to understand what that's about. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but no, you did for sure. Yeah. Do you enjoy um, we're skipping ahead a little bit here, but do you enjoy that part of what you're doing now? The the talking one on one to players uh, off the court, like just kind of getting into their mind, learning about them. No, I don't. I don't. I'm, that's not me. I'm, oh, really? Not, that's not my job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't make up my job for me. I'm still trying to learn my job. No. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. um, so now let's go back to the NBA career is coming to an end. Right. And you decide right after the NBA ends to go back to Princeton and get right. that psychology degree. Was that something you knew you were always going to do? Yeah, I, I promised my mom and I promised my coach that I would do that. Wow. You know, when I left, I said, I'll be back, you know. But, but, but you know, I had to do that. that that's why I went there. Um, so, um, but yeah, it was, that was an easy decision. And then uh, it was- I, would, I, would, I would recommend to anybody that's been away from school eight years, uh, let them know that it's extremely tough. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you go back to Princeton to get yeah. your degree. Yeah, because, you know, when you're on the road and you're playing in the league, you know, you pick up a book, you read it, you know, ah, it was enjoyable, stuff like that. But when you go back to school, you have to read to memorize. You have to right. read to write down. You have to read to write a paper. And so it's entirely different than trying to enjoy just a book that you pick up. But and then you you talked about this a little bit. You ended up back at another one of your alma maters, Lawrenceville, where you were an assistant and the curator of art. You talked about putting together that collection. But you were there for several years and you became the head coach there. So when when did you make the decision that you wanted to be a coach? How did how did that come about? Um it's 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 uh it 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 comes um I started to realize that I enjoyed teaching. Mm. Um, and so that I enjoyed teaching the game. Um, and so, like I mentioned earlier before, you know, you have to dribble, pass and shoot. Um, and so you get kids that couldn't dribble or you get kids that couldn't shoot or couldn't pass. And so you get to see them, uh, improve and then you get them to see them win a game. Uh, and to me, that was enjoyable. Uh, you know, someone asked me what was the most enjoyable, uh, thing that I had as a coach. Um, and I said, it goes back to coaching at Lawrenceville. I had this point guard who, you know, you know, he, he, he loved to play, uh, but we had to improve his skills and everything else. And, um, and all of a sudden we were in a Chris, this Christmas tournament and I could see his, the improvement that he was making. And all of a sudden we won the Christmas tournament and he was so excited. He ran down to the opposite end of the court and jumped and hung on the rim. You know, like, you know, and, and I was like, well, that's what all coaching is about. Cause I, you know, I was so happy for that kid wow. and, and happy that he enjoyed it so much that he was so excited. And to this day, I still talk to the kid, but, but wow. to me, that was, that was the, the most enjoyment I had as a coach um, to see that, um, to see that kid hang on the rim and, you know, he couldn't dunk, but he, he ran it, you know, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a beautiful thing. That is, that is not a form of celebration I've ever seen anybody ever do in basketball. <laughs> I also love though, that coach, you, you won an NBA title, like you won an NBA title. And when, you know, when talking about your favorite coaching moment, you're back to Lawrenceville winning a Christmas tournament. I mean, that if, if there is, 
I've never heard of a greater story to talk about that shows how much you just love teaching the game than that yeah. moment. That is, that's amazing. So Lawrenceville then gives way to rejoining your old coach at Princeton. Right. And how did that come about? Well, he, he called me up and said, hey, why don't you come help me? And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how, that's how it went. But I'll tell you, um, my very first day um, at, at coaching at Princeton, uh, we're getting ready to prepare for practice. And coach you know, goes up to the board and I get out a pen and, and paper you know, I'm getting ready to write down everything that I could possibly write down. And he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, coach, you know, I'm getting ready to, you know, I'm getting ready to write down. He goes, we don't write down anything here. It's all up here. And wow. I was like, okay. And so we never wrote anything down. And, but he'd, he would say, this is what we're going to work on, uh, you know, different plays, center forward, all this other kind of stuff. Um, and so there are other colleges or other high school coaches that would call up and say, hey, can you send us, you know, Princeton, this and that. And, and we, we, we weren't lying. We say, we don't have anything. <laughs> we don't have anything written down to send you. You know, but coach would always say, you're welcome to come to practice and watch practice. And after practice, you could ask any questions that you want. But we never wrote down anything. So I have the Princeton offense in my head. <laughs> Do you think that what? was intentional from Coach Carrill? That like was that a, an exercise in in building mental strength with his players to, have, to make have, them do that? I have no idea. All, all I know is that that was his way of doing things. And and to me, he is a genius. Or was yeah. a, is a genius. I mean, because to have, have a whole offense named after you, yeah. Is, is something special and he was able to do it without any scholarship players hmm. um you know which is even more astounding it's but, amazing yeah and so but he you know so i go around today and i see high schools running some sets of princeton i see colleges running some sets of princeton i see pros running some sets of princeton and so but it's all because of that that little guy when you, know? you you went to be a coach under him as opposed to play under him what did you, what did you, like, we've heard this from some folks who played for Coach Knight and then was like a graduate assistant with him or assistant coach with him. What, what did you learn from him about the game as a coach that you couldn't learn from him as, as a player? The way the co coach looks at the game. Um, that's a good question. Um, don't, we don't, we don't, uh, coach, he, he we, already have, a told we you, have a rule here. Went. We don't tell Ward he asked a good question. Okay. We I'm don't sorry. do that. You we already said it that. to Eric All once. Right, I take it back. <laughs> you owed me one. <laughs> uh, but as a player, um, first let me say that Coach Carrillo taught me everything I know about basketball. Wow. So let's get that clear. Um, when I was a student, um, I, I believe that he taught me how to see. And because I would, you know, in between my classes, I would go down to his office. And back then they were reel to reels, you know, so we mm -hmm. would take out the reel and put it on the projector. And he would always ask the question, uh, we, we were watching the game and then he would stop it and say, where should the ball be? And no one ever asked me that question. And, and I would say, over here. 
And he said, no. <laughs> and then <laughs> run it further and he'd see that the ball should have been somewhere else. So, you know, after about months and months of doing this, uh, he would say, where should the ball be? And I would say, right there. And he said, and it, and it would be right. Um, and so that was the lesson from him that taught me how to see. Um, and, and then as a player, again, one of my very first lessons that he, he, we were at half court and he gave me the ball and he goes, okay, now you have to see all nine people. And no one ever told me that before. Hmm. And so I have the ball. I have to see my four teammates and I have to see the five guys that are trying to stop me. And so he says, when you come down to court, this is what you have to see. And so he taught me, I believe, how to see. Now he'll say, oh, Armand could see. No, but he taught me how to see. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when I came back as a coach, um, he taught me the, the game as coaching players and getting, you know, certain players and, you know, to do certain things. And, and so therefore I was, I, I was able to see the game differently um, as a coach and, and what he has to go through and what he had to, to do to get uh, execution or, you know, you know, there's sometimes that we would run a play for an hour and just work on that play for an hour. And, but what it taught me was that when you do that for a whole hour, by the time that hour is over, your players have seen every situation that is possible that is going to happen in a game. And so therefore, when they got to the game, they'd have the ball and they go, well, I've been here before. I know what this looks right. like. And so they would know how to execute or, or run a play. So, you know, that, that to me was, you know, the, the difference between playing for him and coaching with him. So. And then four years later, you get to take that tutelage as a coach. Uh, oh, we don't have to talk about all this coaching stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to yeah. skip? We'll skip past Columbia. No, no, no. I had a great time at Columbia. No, please. Yeah. I, I had a great time at Columbia. And I, I still talk to some of the players there today. Uh, and it was, it was a learning experience. Um, and then, you know, when it was all over, I go down to Atlanta and I work for Terry Stotts and for a year and uh and then after that doc called me and invited me to go up there and my my best uh, you know you talk about winning a championship but that group uh, with the celtics with kevin garnett and paul pierce and ray allen and rondo and kirk and those guys that was an unbelievable group of chemistry of players that competed they loved to compete um, and so well, look, your NBA coaching career, I, I put, uh, I was looking at it. You coached, by my count, at least five of the top 75 NBA players of all time that were on that list, five of them. You had uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Ray Allen. I mean, just, I mean, the peop the coaches that you've been around, the players that you've been able to coach and be around, it is an unbelievable basketball story. And do you ever let yourself kind of look no. back at it? No, no. Um, probably when I'm, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but I do have, you know, like really good memories of, of you know, and, and it's a myth that, you know, people don't think that pros don't want to get better or pros don't listen. Right. 
the great ones all listen, Um, you know, and, and they all want to get better. And in the NBA, you know, you know, playing time is money. And so they all want to get better so they can have playing time. Um, But the great ones, they're working on things that are going to make themselves better, you know, that next, that following year, they're always working on something and they're always listening. And to me, that was the beauty of watching a guy um, improve or get better at a certain thing. Maybe, you know, maybe he didn't shoot well off the dribble. Or maybe, you know, I, it's, there, there's, there's a lot of things that go on that, that you, know, you, you get to observe and then you get to respect why they, you know, who they are and why they are, mm-hmm. you know, that, that great. So With, uh, We have to ask about Coach Rivers. Not only did his son play for IU, and we had a great interview with him on the pod, but he's had an unbelievable career as a player and as a coach, and you were by his side for so many years. What was it about your connection, your rapport, um, your coaching, and his that worked so well together? Um, Well, I was his offensive coordinator, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, It means a lot. And and, um, But... I've, I've always, um, I tell people that um, he's another brilliant mind, a basketball mind. Um, and when he drew up a play, which I loved, um, he would draw up a play and have a counter to your counter. Huh. So he, you know, like playing chess. And so he would draw up a play and he would say, well, they're going to do this. And so we do that. And then they're going to. And so there was always a counter. Now, most people or most coaches that draw up a play, they draw up a play and say, just run this, it should work. But he would draw up a play and he would have a counter to what he thought you were going to do defensively. And to me, that was up there, you know, as as far as basketball IQ. And so I enjoyed um, watching it and talking the game because he would talk and you would have to, catch the plays in the air and put them together and say, oh, okay, I understand what you're saying. I, I see what you're, you know. And so he was, uh, I thought, unbelievable um, at doing that. So it's it's just a, a mutual respect. We're not going to take up too much more of your time. I do have a question as the observer at Indiana. We've had both Kenya and Yah on the show multiple times. Right. They have both told us that Woody has fired them several times each. Yes. As the observer, who has been fired more, Kenya or Yah? Me. <laughs> uh, I would probably have to say no. They're both. They're both even. It's pretty you know? tied. Okay. But, but, but Woody fires everybody. You yeah. Know? But, but it's, it's he fires you with a smile. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to fire you. You know, and then you know. Hey, uh, true story. Woody tried to fire me. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a story for a different time. So I've been um, fired a couple of times. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we just we love asking people that have spent any time in Bloomington. Have you? Do you have a favorite restaurant yet in Bloomington? Is there a place uh, you like? Yeah, I mean, I I I try to you know eat a lot of different places, but um, of course Malibu is always nice. Sure. And Social Cantina and uh, 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 Southern Stone. You know, yep. uh, so I mean, a newer I, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's you know, but you know, I'm happy at Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> what about Buffalo's? Buffalo, I've been there. Buffalo's yeah. is good. I've been, I mean, I've been to you know 
but you know, a lot of times I'm, I, you know, I've, I've gone and I've eaten there and the, and the food is delicious and stuff like that. And, you know, but it's, it's good. I, I, I can't complain about anything. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, listen, coach, uh, you. you gave us a ton of time and right. I mean, we just love you, man. I mean, your story is an amazing one the humility that you have after all the years of at, at the highest levels of this game and being around the people that you have been around. I, I can totally understand why coach Woody wanted you in Bloomington to just be around this program as he tries to, as Ward said, rejuvenate it because it means a lot to a lot of people, including us. And I'm sure you see that and having you and your presence there and your demeanor and your humility can only be good. Uh, and a positive and a benefit for these kids that come through that program. They are lucky to have you. So well, I, I appreciate that. I thank you for the kind words and, uh, you know, thank you for having me. Thank you, coach. Thank Absolutely. You. Uh, thank we'll you. see you thank in Bloomington. You. And thank you for all your great questions. <laughs> <laughs> that was directed at me. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> that, was def- right. def- that was definitely for you. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, coach. That was a guest. That was a guest. Lovely human being. I mean, one of our, one of my favorite conversations that we have had. I mean, what a, what a thoughtful, interesting, intelligent, funny, um, humble. I mean, just, I, there's so many superlatives I could throw at him after getting to know him for that hour. There were so many mediocre questions asked in particular by me that he's just somehow spun into gold. Like I I really, a couple of times I'm like, I don't know what I just gave him to work with there, but he had every time something really insightful to say that, you know, he's ultimately there to be a consigliere to Woodson and to teach these players about the game of basketball and life. And I just feel like that that was kind of the key phrase. He learned that he loved teaching, that he, he yes. wanted to teach. And even in these answers, you know, we're asking questions and he's he's answering. He's teaching us about not just his life, but the game of basketball and his experiences in it. And and there's such a, a sage-like aura about him this warmth this wisdom that that draws you in like around the the hearth and you want to hear from coach money you want to glean his his knowledge and experience and i mean there's just so many things that stick out you have to be willing to give of yourself you know you have to give of yourself the story that sticks out to him in his coaching career which again includes an nba title is a kid at lawrenceville in a holiday tournament who just grew enough as a player to win the tournament and then celebrate by going to hang on the rim. But that (laughs) moment for him was everything, right? That moment was the pinnacle of teaching. It was the pinnacle of coaching. There is no ego about him. There just, there felt like no ego. He is confident in who he is and, and I think what he can bring to the table, but Man, what a resource to have at Indiana University basketball. Thank you, Woody, for bringing him. But, man, I was just blown away by how effortless he tells stories, you know, and weaves in lessons that he learned. And the fact that he had this interest in art and wanted to be an architect, I find just incredibly interesting and and insightful about him. 
And he went to the same school as, you know, like Albert Einstein taught there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just went to Princeton and then went back and got a degree in psychology. Yeah. It's it's really something for a lot of these guys coming through the program who whatever is going to happen after they leave IU, eventually the ball is going to be taken away from them, too. At any level, at some point, that time comes. And when you have a figure like that in your life for ideally four years, I don't think any of them will, they will, they will all be better served to have had this man in his life. And, you know, I know, and I know it's different, like how much of a a mentor one person can be to any one kid, but it really feels like just being in the same building as this man, like I I probably could have used a few people like him between the ages of 18 and 21. You could, I mean, let's be honest, between right 18 and 44. Right now. Yeah. Right now. It's very true. Um, I just, he has such like a calming, like you said, sage-like presence. I can understand how easy it would be for Woody to talk to him about whatever he's thinking. You know, it's different when you're talking to your assistants, you know, because they work I mean, I know Armand Coach Hill money works for Woody, but it it feels different, doesn't it? It feels yeah. more like um, an advisor, a a confidant. Whereas Kenya and Ya and Dane, they work for him. Whereas I think that Woody can take in all the inputs and then unload it on Coach Money and just let him like react to it in in a way that that coach Woody can really respect as a peer and that is an amazing luxury to have as a coach like Woody at a program and like I think Indiana. there's shout out to Scott Dolson for making that room for for coach money to be there and the way you were just describing it I think is very important it's it may be a form of therapy like a lot of times you just need to be able to talk to somebody yes. that you trust and that they have such uh, a, a background together of, of quite a few years on an NBA bench together. And then this whole background of being coaches in the NBA for a long time and players in the NBA and big time college basketball players. And, you know, and go, go and go back before that or go to two guys who grew up in not well-off financial environments, you know? I mean, Coach Hill grew up in the projects in Brooklyn. Coach Woody grew up in the inner city of Indianapolis with both had big families, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there are so many similarities and they're, ba- you know, Coach Hill's just a few years ahead of, of Coach Woody. There are so many similarities and parallels in their lives that it really does seem like, like Woody's got a twin brother that he gets to who experienced everything he did and he gets to just lean on him. Uh, mm-hmm. It's incredible. And I had no sense really of coach Hills. Um, I feel we're calling him coach Hill, but coach money's coach money, uh, coach money's um, personality, but just Holy hell. It's amazing. I mean, well, it's just, I want to be around it. I did have a sense of his personality because one time when we raided the program offices and the whole team was in a big meeting and we were fortunate enough to be just briefly introduced in that meeting in which I felt completely awkward that we were interrupting the team meeting. I know what you're going to say here. It's so true. And Coach Money 
Uh, everybody was very friendly, all smiles and all this. A lot of the guys we'd met before um, or even had on the show, but Coach Money, no prior connection relationship to whatsoever. Just the warmest smile, the warmest handshake. And got up. And he stood up. He stood, he stood over up and, and walked to us he to did. shake our hands and look us in the eye and introduce himself. Right, right. Um, Whereas yeah, that, most it, people turn and run the other way when we come in the room. Well, look, he has not done that since. <laughs> so, I mean, again, he's learning. He, well, he's he's look, a learner. Security's tightened up around Cook Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just absolutely blown away by the conversation. It's late there, and mm-hmm. he was willing to give us that time. Um, and it is funny that the thing he didn't really want to focus on was when he was the man, the head guy at Columbia. He's so much more willing to talk about his time as an assistant to Coach Kirill. He's so much more willing. It, it may be that he just wanted to get off the phone with us. That's what I, I was thinking. I think maybe he sees how we're going to do this, where we're going to break down year by year yeah, of his maybe, like maybe. 30 year coaching but, but career. I, but I also think he's a guy who's much more. Um, comfortable talking about the people that he has given of himself to. I, I just get that sense from him. Yes. And, you know, it's no, look, this is not against people who, who kind of do this, but there are people that you meet that like regurgitate uh, cliches and slogans that they read in, in motivational books and stuff. This guy is just so genuine and authentically um, humble and team oriented that it has to make an impact on you if you get to be around him. It has to. Well, and And, to go back to him acknowledging how much more difficult it is for kids nowadays with the family, with the friends, with the social media, which he seemed more fixated on family and friends, which was interesting. And maybe just the fact that they all have cell phones now and it's so much easier for all those people to be in contact with them constantly, but that just, he has that awareness and understanding and and sympathy for these kids that they do have more pressure than he did, just that he can acknowledge that then inevitably he's going to be able to help them with it more. The amount of time that our coaches have to spend, I'm including Coach Hill, Coach Money in this, have to spend talking to parents is, I think it would shock people. I really do. Um, there is, you know, coach, we've heard from, from players that played for Coach Knight, where Coach Knight would call the mom, right? And say like, hey, it's going to get hard for your son here. We, but what happens now, and I don't know why this is, but there is an entitlement, um, that exists now that didn't exist 40 years ago where parents think that their kids should be playing more. They have the right answer for it. And it's well within their purview to call the coach and complain about it. And that happens on every team for multiple players. And you could tell like coach money was like, yeah, that, that is something we did not have to deal with. I didn't have parents telling me, you should be playing more. You should be the star. Kids today do. And that is an added level of pressure that just, again, makes coaching complicated. It just yeah. makes it more complicated and a harder job. I got to tell you, man, I am so happy Coach Money is part of this staff. I, I mean, if there was any question about it before being able to talk to him for an hour and plus, hour and a half, whatever it was, uh, I just have zero doubt. I, I, I'm so happy he's part of the family. 
he's instead of like the watcher in the MCU, he's the observer. He's the observer at IUBB. And, he is and the observer. It, it feels good to have his presence, his his eye watching over everybody and everything. He's like Sauron. <laughs> well, I I would like to think he's got a, a more positive vibe than that. Oh, so you think me comparing him to like the, the most Im- horrible concentration of evil? Right. Is right. not the right analogy. No, no. That would be more for mm, John Calipari. You know what he He's the Oracle. From the Matrix? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But you're you're right. Like he is the observer and 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 someone that that Woody clearly can lean on. And um I I I just was blown away by him. I loved it. I, I really loved every second of the conversation. Uh follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but the sometimes, sometimes why? why? We'll be back at you next week. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. I love of Indiana, he's manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.